From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. We are at the last show for 2023. We have had an amazing year here on For What It's Worth, covering the big personal finance stories of the year. And really, money has been on the minds of everybody this year, whether it's higher interest rates, inflation, cost of living in general. We're all getting sticker shock. Doesn't matter what your financial situation is. Uh, when you go to the grocery store, when you get an oil change, you go on vacation, you go out to the restaurant, all of us can't believe how much more expensive everything is. And this has really been the overlying trend for personal finance over the last year. And I think it will continue into 2024. Uh, today on the program, I will have a friend of the show, Jessica Morehouse. She's a accredited financial counselor to talk about the big financial stories of 2023 from her perspective. Great conversation uh, to, to hear from her as to what she thinks will be the big stories of 2024 and really, you know, what we can take from this last year, th things that we have learned from this last year that we should carry forward into 2024. Um, as well, we will be speaking to a mortgage broker. There are changes to the stress tests that are coming. Uh, the federal government brought down the fall economic statement earlier this year, in, in back in November. And in it, they said that they are announcing a new Canadian char mortgage charter. Now, this isn't law. It's a set of rules that they say that banks and federal uh, and financial institutions should follow. Uh, but in it, they are changing how the stress test can be used. And it may make it a little bit easier for those individuals who have insured mortgages to move their mortgage to a new institution. So it might give you a little bit of flexibility in the new year if you are hoping to shop around for the best rate possible. Uh, this year, you know, those stories that uh, the stories that really stuck out to me were cost of living. I will be watching that going into 2024. The expectation is food costs are going to go up more than $700 for the year. Now, that may seem like a scary number, but divided over 12 months, it's actually not as bad as, as it's been in previous years. So we will be watching that and definitely uh, you know, talking about how we can save money on this one item that uh, we cannot avoid, right? Most of us have to go to the grocery store and shop for food for our family. We have an exciting show coming up. Um, it's the last show of the year. I really hope that you will stay tuned. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck. This is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Housing, interest rates, and inflation. Those were some of the biggest personal finance stories for 2023. To talk about what stories she found most interesting in 2023, we are joined by Jessica Morehouse. She is an accredited financial counselor and host of the More Money podcast and friend of the show. Hi, Jessica. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. I can't believe we are at the end of 2023. It feels like this mm. year really did race by. I know that we say that every year, but this year mm -hmm. especially with everything that happened with 
uh, the pandemic kind of wrapping up and then inflation mm. uh, issues persisting throughout the year, interest rates not knowing what's happening with them. As a personal finance journalist, I felt like I was on my toes all year long, just waiting to hear you know, what's going to happen with the economy, what's going mm -hmm. to happen with people's uh, pocketbooks or ability to, to afford uh, anything. Uh, from your perspective, what has been one story you felt like you covered the most in 2023? Mm -hmm. uh, definitely inflation. The interest rates, is the Bank of Canada going to raise or stay? I'm so glad there has been like no exciting news on that front for the past several months. Um, but I think that's the thing that I've talked the most about because people were just every time the Bank of Canada made an announcement, they're like, we're raising rates. You just hear a groan across the country of people being like, now how like now I have to adjust everything again. How am I gonna make my mortgage payments and afford the ridiculous cost of living? Like it's it's that's been, yeah, I think on everyone's minds. <laughs> Hopefully it's gonna be a, a different story next year, but uh that's just wishful thinking. From your perspective, you know, this is something I've experienced is that the way uh, the cost of living has gone and inflation, interest rates, everything else, more money going towards servicing our debts, paying for everyday mm -hmm. things that we can't avoid. Uh, people have become a little bit more mindful of their spending, a little bit mm -hmm. more frugal. Things that I th feel like you and I have been uh, promoting throughout our mm -hmm. careers. People are finally for being forced yeah. to actually live that way. Has that been your experience that a lot, a lot of Canadians have now adjusted the way that they save and spend because, mm -hmm. because that's the only choice many of us really have? Absolutely. I feel like it took us a while to kind of integrate those new habits. Um, once we started seeing, you know, interest rates go up, it took us a while to kind of catch up. Hence why I feel like it's taken a, a little bit longer than expected for inflation to go down. We just have, get, we continued on our kind of, you know, crazy spending spree, which we started doing in 2021 because we had all this money from staying at home and not commuting and just whatnot. And I think it took us a while to kind of catch up and, and change things. I've even found that in my own personal life, even though, you know, I still always am pretty mindful of my spending. I definitely was lax in 2022. I was just uh, talking to a friend about like, it was a spendy year. Part of it was, I think, just everything going on in the world. You kind of make some emotional spending choices. This year was very much more methodical. And I mean, I've cut back significantly in lots of areas of my life just out of necessity. And and also just like the, the sticker shock going to a restaurant and you're like, I'm sorry, how much did that cost? I swear last year it was like $10 less. And you know, getting that feeling of like, I don't know if I'm actually getting enough value. And so for me, I've definitely been more mindful of what products I'm buying at the grocery store before I'd be like, whatever, what's the big difference between, you know, this product and this product 50 cents. Now I'm just like, well, I'm not paying, you know, like I'll always look for the deals or like get the the brand that's a little bit cheaper because I know it's basically the same thing. Or we've definitely not been eating out or doing takeout. We used to do so much takeout and now we rarely do it. Maybe once, maybe twice a month before it used to be like a weekly thing. I'm doing a lot more cooking at home and we really haven't bought too much stuff for like our house or like even with the you know uh black friday and the boxing day um you know sales you haven't really you know spent a, a bunch of stuff and, and that makes me feel good because honestly i feel less stressed about money because I've, I've been kind of reeling things back a little bit 
Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, even from my own perspective, I, uh, I've i always been a bit of a spendthrift, a little bit, you know, I don't really like to waste money on things that mm -hmm. don't matter. But yes, we all get into, well, it's not so much to carry or take money out no. of the home equity line of credit or it, 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 things did seem a little bit more loosey goosey, for lack mm -hmm. of a better way of putting it with when it came to our finances. And I'm now much more I've kind of gone back to the way that I used to be 10, 15 years ago, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. when I when I actually had to be really Really careful with my money because I was still in some student debt. I was mm -hmm. starting my life with my husband, and um, you know we had to really make sure that every every penny uh, went to a place that was you know we're getting the best value out of it. Uh, the other big story, uh, Jessica, this year has really been. I mean, and this ties into cost of living is mortgages, mm -hmm. where Ooh. we've seen uh, Canadians mortgage Canadians who have variable mm -hmm. rate mortgages their their payments double in some cases almost triple i know that you also have been in this category can you tell me what this mm -hmm. year has been like when it comes to just managing mortgage payments oh yeah it's uh been a big shift in my family uh specifically i our mortgage payments have basically doubled and in order to to then service those the payments, make sure we're always on time with everything, we've had to figure out, okay, what are we not doing this year? You know, and so we are are doing our first vacation at the beginning of next year, but really this year we really haven't really done anything. And uh, you know, prioritizing necessities over some more, you know, fun entertainment kind of things that normally be like, oh, what's the big deal? You'll kind of it all kind of balances out in the end. This year, it's always it's really been about let's make sure that we're making those mortgage payments. It won't. It's you know I always remind my husband because he's like, oh, it's so painful. It's it's temporary. It's not always going to be like this. And yes, this, now we learned our lesson about the risks of variable mortgages. Even though we knew it, we now have that personal experience with it. And you know it's 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 been tough, but similar to you know how you kind of said, I I feel like. There's so many moments where I, I pinch myself I'm like, oh, my gosh, I, I feel like I'm back in my 20s when I really was living off less. But I managed it. I remember I was working two jobs just to, to make enough to pay my bills and have a little extra put aside for savings. And I did it. And so, you know, having kind of those uh, early life experiences of, of getting through some tough times made it a little bit easier to kind of go through this. But uh, it's been difficult to kind of uh, readjust the budget and see how can we make this work. It's painful now. It won't always be, but it's it's been really tough. And just having conversations with other people, whether it's, you know, those mortgage payments or I've been seeing also rent is very, it's gone up exponentially because a lot of those people that own those rental properties, their mortgages probably went up. And so they're passing those, that extra cost to renters. So across the board, I feel like everyone is really feeling it in terms of paying for shelter. There are more than average uh, number of mortgages coming up for renewal in 2024, 2025. Ooh, yeah. One of the big reasons is because the market was so uh, robust uh, mm -hmm. five years ago. And th those individuals who got into homes uh, and went fixed, obviously feeling great about the fact mm -hmm. they made that decision, those are coming up for renewal. And um, now that, you know, what we've experienced the last three years, some people may be afraid to continue to uh, to to go to to switch and go variable because mm -hmm. the fix has mm -hmm. paid paid off so well for them. I, I mean, I know we're not in the business of giving advice, no. so to speak. But you know, what would be your guidance for somebody who's saying, you know, I've got this mortgage coming up, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I I don't know what to do. I mean, I've had this great fixed rate. I really saved money. 
what's what would be you know what would be one way to tackle that uh that situation as to whether to go fix or variable on a mm -hmm. on a, an, on your biggest debt probably yeah well it's a very different situation getting uh, getting fixed or variable now compared to a few years ago when we were experiencing some really low rates so if you are in the situation where your your mortgage is up for renewal and you have to make that decision, it's not like fixed is going to save you more money because it is a much higher rate than it was when you first got your mortgage. And so what I've been seeing a lot actually for people in that situation that maybe are a bit resistant to get getting that variable uh, interest rate, even though it will be cheaper than a fixed, um, even so, but there's obviously the risk that, hey, maybe the Bank of Canada decides, you know, we're, we're raising rates again, that is the risk, is people are getting a one or maybe just two-year fixed rate. So when hopefully in that time frame we will say interest rate, see interest rates go down, then they can renew again at a much lower rate. So that's one strategy where if you want that kind of comfort, that security of knowing what your payments will be and they will not go up, just do it for a shorter time frame. Just know that if you do a shorter time frame, usually that interest rate is is a lot higher than say getting like a five year fix because that bank is gonna get that you know guarantee of those payments for five years. So that that's one thing. But for me, I've just stuck with my variable rate and just kind of dealt with the situation at hand. And I'm pretty confident as, you know, lots of uh, economists have been kind of speculating for next year that we will at some point, maybe at the end of next year, see some rates go down. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that. But uh, if you just don't want to play that game and take that risk, maybe just going for a shorter um, time frame for that fixed rate for your term might be a good option. Uh, Jessica, you you know you've uh, lived through two thousand eight, two thousand nine financial mm -hmm. crisis. I know that that was like sort of when you were first starting off in your career, sort of finding mm -hmm. what you wanted to do. And now, ten, thirteen years later, you've got this um, you know award winning podcast. You uh, you're writing a book. You're doing all these great things in the personal finance space. Um, for someone graduating into this economy, so sort of you know yeah. maybe mimicking what you might have been feeling <laughs> like back in oh eight oh nine. What would be your advice for them? Because it is a really difficult time to do anything financially. And then on yeah. top of it, even though we're hearing more and more about the fact that the labor market is really tight, the job, uh, the, the, the wages are not really reflecting that reality. I mean, unless yeah. you have these very high skills and a lot of experience, uh, new graduates are not able to command those high salaries because they mm -hmm. simply don't have um, that that experience that that the company is looking for. So they kind of have to start from the ground up, so to mm -hmm. speak. But that can be a scary place. I mean, what would be your advice for someone who's saying, I'm not getting the salary that mm -hmm. affords me to live in this city, but at the same time, you know, I, I have to work, I have to do, I know all the right things after graduation, but I'm not sure where what, what my life is going to look like in five years. Mm -hmm. I know it's it's the hardest thing is is really figuring out your life in your 20s because you are you feel like you're getting uh, so many different pieces of advice from so many different people you don't know who to listen to or what you should do. The best things that I did, you know, and, and I did learn a lot of great lessons having to go through the recession. And, you know, I was hearing those numbers. I feel like young people are experiencing something very similar. Remember, in your 20s, you have, even though you don't have the experience and you probably don't have the, the income yet, that can happen if you make sure you're utilizing your 20s as the time to build those skills, get that experience and prioritize some just like very simple things with your finances, such as, oh my gosh, the the thing I wish I did in my 20s was track my 
money. I, I had a budget, which was just a, a plan. This is what I wanted to have with my money. And I stuck to it pretty well, but I didn't track my spending or my net worth. And that is the number one thing I would suggest to anyone. Know where your money is going. And then your net worth portion, that is to see your progress over time. That will serve as your motivation to keep on being smart with your money because the proof is in the pudding. You will see your net worth grow. You're like, oh, look at that. Somehow I saved $10,000 this year. I don't know how because I, you know, I, I did this and that. I, I, that's kind of a surprise to me. I guess if I do the same thing next year, maybe I'll make even more, uh, you know, put even more into savings. So creating that foundation in your 20s is so essential. And don't be afraid to, you know, everyone starts from somewhere. Believe me, the first job I ever got was not enough to cover my bills. So I had to have a second job. And at the time, I felt kind of embarrassed by it because lots of the friends I had, they just got a job at a university. Again, we studied different things. So they had a different degree, but they were able to find employment and, and get pretty good salaries. And I was like the lower income earner. And so I'd have a second job. Looking back, it actually doesn't matter where you start. It's the important thing to remember is where are you going to end up? So if you have have to get that second job or do some freelancing or do Uber, whatever, it doesn't matter. And you have the energy to do it in your 20s because I promise you it's harder to, to do all of this extra stuff in your 30s and 40s. You just do not have that kind of same energy. So use your 20s. I tell everybody if you can, get it from the library or buy it. There's a book called The Defining Decade, which is really about how to optimize your 20s, not in a hustle culture way, but just how to not waste this really valuable point in your time to discover yourself, but also set yourself up so you are in a better position uh, later in life. So those are those are my kind of personal tips. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. This year, I watched a, a really good TED talk about reclaiming your 20s and how mm. we have really, um, as a society, uh, made 20 year olds into extended adolescence which yes. it's not right mm -hmm. it's it is anything but it, it's the 20s are when you do a lot of major things that sort of set you out for the rest of your life mm -hmm. uh you land that job you graduate from a post-secondary education university college uh, you build your work network, you find mm -hmm. your life partner, all these things normally happen in this decade. And by mm -hmm. sending the message that you've got till the 30s to figure that out um, mm -hmm. is, is really a disservice. So I really like that, that you said that, you know, sort of yeah, figure it out 20s. before you hit 30, not when, believe me, you don't want to hit 30. And you're like, oh, shoot, I don't know what to do now because you don't uh, hit 30 and magically know the answers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Jessica, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what are your uh, thoughts going into 2024? What do you think we'll be talking most about um, as uh, personal finance persons? Yeah. yeah, gosh, that's a great question. I don't know. I feel like we're still going to talk about inflation and interest rates. That's not going to go away anytime soon. Housing, I think, is going to continue to be a topic of conversation because it is just it, the Wild West uh, still. Uh, so I think those, I mean, I think more of the same and I honestly kind of want it to be a boring year. We've had a lot to deal with the past, you know, since 2020, it's just been, you know, surprise after surprise. I would love for 2024 to be a very boring, peaceful year for all of us. Cause I think we need a break. <laughs> That's yeah. my, my dream. Bored in 2024, <laughs> sure, yeah. Especially you know, for, we just need a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially from a financial perspective, maybe more interesting on other, other sides of your yes, life. But, exactly. Uh, but I want money. my finances to be boring. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. Uh, all the best to you in 2024. I know we're going to talk again. Uh, Jessica, thank mm -hmm. you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. When we come back, a record number of mortgages are up for renewal in 2024. The federal government has announced some new rules that will help navigate Canadians through this time. But will they help? We'll find out more after the break. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. 
You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. government has announced the Canada Mortgage Charter, a set of rules that they say will help Canadians afford their mortgage at renewal. One notable change is the current stress test that was brought in to ensure you could afford your mortgage in a higher interest rate environment. To talk about this, we are joined by Andy Hill. He is a mortgage broker in Vancouver. Hi, Andy. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me. So this new change specifically to the stress test, which has gotten a lot of coverage since it was first announced five or six years ago when interest rates were at rock bottom. What does this really mean for the average homeowner whose mortgage may be coming up for renewal in the next couple of years? Well, if that homeowner would have bought a property with less than 20% down and paid the government-backed mortgage insurance at that point in time, also had not made any changes to their mortgage within that term, increase the mortgage, increase the amortization, then they would be able to move the mortgage from one lender to the other while qualifying at 5.25% today, which is much lower than every other stress test rate that we would see. So does this actually alleviate some stress from uh, those who are renewing their mortgage? Uh, Does this help us uh, as homeowners uh, get the best rate? It's a pretty small subset of the population that could take advantage of this opportunity. That being said, homeowners that had paid the mortgage insurance and potentially have less equity in the home are probably the most at risk of the higher payments causing them to have to sell. If you have more equity in the home, there's a chance that you can alleviate that pressure in a variety of different ways, but if your mortgage is insured, you don't have a lot of pressure relief valves. Right. So this is all announced in what's the new Canadian Mortgage Charter. It came down with the fall economic statement, the number of things that the federal government says will help Canadians afford to stay in their home, afford their payments, because so many of us are worried about what will happen to us at renewal. Uh, Distress tests uh, not being needed for those who have already been stress tested and under all those things that you just mentioned. Um, it also, you know, waives fees and costs that would be charged for uh, what they say mortgage relief measures, uh, allow temporary extensions on the amortization period for mortgage holders. What does all of this mean? Isn't this, wasn't this already available to, uh, to mortgage holders on a case-by-case basis from their bank? For the most part, yes. I think they are kind of reiterating and maybe passing through legislation stating that these sorts of relief measures are okay um and 
you know, there might be a couple of outlying institutions that may or may not have allowed such relief measures to be in place. And so this might just kind of scoop up the laggards in that in that population of of lenders that maybe hadn't uh, come come forward with those relief measures off the hop. One of my big criticisms has been is when you move your mortgage from one financial institution to the other, you have to fill out an entire new application. So even if you're not stress test, you will be required to give all the same information that you gave when you first signed up for that mortgage at the other financial institution. In this new interest rate environment, does it really even make a difference? Because you will have to qualify at a much higher rate than you did five years ago. Yeah. I mean, if you move the mortgage from one institution to another, you have to do the whole thing again. Um, uh, There's generally no costs to move the mortgage from one lender to the other, but your buy-in I always say to clients is, you know, providing all of the paperwork again, attending a legal signing and requalifying with the stress test being at such high levels. You know, most of the time we're seeing that, I mean, in in the best case scenario, maybe around 7%, but for most people, it's probably closer to seven and a half, eight. For a while there, we saw it quite a bit over 8%. uh, it's quite difficult for borrowers to move their mortgage from one lender to another unless they've made significant paydowns over the course of the last term or uh, increase their income in one way or another. And that, that is exactly the way that I read it was uh... – if you if I move my mortgage, say I've paid you know five years, made five years of payments, I move my mortgage, I'm still pretty much at the top end of it. Uh, a lot of my money is still going towards interest, and I move it to a new financial institution. Uh, whereas even before with the stress test, I would have had to qualify, yes, two percentage points higher than what the bank's offering, but now I have to qualify at seven and a half percent, which is. Uh, yes, I'm not going to be stress test on that number, but that's still quite a high number to to show that you can afford to make those payments. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, with this charter, it it seemed to only apply to insured mortgages. So just having that be such a small subset of the population, the majority of individuals who are moving their mortgage from one institution to another you know, will be stress tested. And so that, you know, you still kind of have to fall into that 2% plus your contract rate, uh, which does kind of put you around that seven and a half, eight percent mark today. Right. Which is, which is quite a high threshold uh, for anyone to, especially if you have a mortgage in a, in a city like Vancouver or Toronto, where, where prices are, you know, well into the seven figures for even a, even a small first home for, in some cases, that's what uh, people are paying. Um, uh, What are your concerns going into the new year with uh, so many mortgages up for renewal? Um, We know more than average number of renewals are happening in the next 18 months or so. Uh, What, what, what are your concerns, especially when it comes to your clients coming back to, to renew their mortgages? Yeah, requalification is is tough right now. And you know, the nice thing, I I mean, the the nice thing I guess is that 
your your current lender will always effectively renew you as long as you've you know been timely on your payments and you don't have to requalify you just have to sign on the dotted line the downside to that is that you don't have a lot of opportunity to shop around and look for alternative options that may be at a lesser rate um you can kind of play that lender a bit in the sense that you can get comparative quotes and you can take it back to that lender and see if they will match because they won't do the due diligence of looking at your credit and your income and making sure that you qualify under the stress test. They generally don't have the resources or time to do that. So even if you are stuck in a situation where you can't maybe move the mortgage, you can always bring some comparative quotes back to the current lender and see if they'll at least play ball and and drop that rate a little bit. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of people that potentially, you know, in the pandemic, interest rates were at rock bottom. People took on more debt than maybe they felt comfortable with. A lot of those individuals who were on adjustable rate mortgages and the mortgage payment changed through the course of this kind of life cycle that we've been on, uh, it's been a rough ride, those individuals have kind of reset and, you know, if they were at a financial strain, they've, you know, maybe sold their home or figured something out. Um, there's a lot of individuals that are on fixed payment variables and they're coming up to a pretty tough time at renewal where the bank, albeit can still allow some relief, is going to try to bring that amortization down. And then those individuals are going to be forced with a higher payment. And so it's it's unsure. There's quite a bit of uncertainty in terms of what happens with them. And then we also have a number of people that had historically low fixed rates that were locked in. And as those come up for renewal, those payments are also jumping, you know, 30 to 40% in a lot of cases. So we could see, you know, an increase of supply in the market as individuals maybe say, okay, well, a couple of years ago, those payments made sense, but right now that certainly doesn't. And maybe we have to downsize into a smaller mortgage or a smaller home in order just to get by. Um, we may also see a large increase in private and alternative financing, whereby an individual keeps their first mortgage, and then maybe they put another mortgage behind that. And that doesn't really solve the problem, but it kind of puts you into a holding pattern for maybe a couple of years where hopefully maybe rates are a bit lower than they are today. Mm -hmm. Or if you weren't ready to sell now, maybe in a couple of years, you, you would be ready to sell. So it could increase supply on the market, which for somebody coming into the market might be a good thing. Um, it might also create a bit of a, a pressure on the top end of uh, housing appreciation, because if there's more supply and maybe demand is a little bit curtailed, then we may see, you know, price appreciation be quite muted for the next couple of years as, uh, you know, as we kind of go through some of these growing pains that, that have kind of festered for a while. 
Andy, uh, how many Canadians actually change financial institutions when they renew their mortgage? Because this is specifically directed at those who want to shop around for a new rate. But as someone who has gone through that, it is not a fun process to move your mortgage from one <laughs> institution to another. And uh, my understanding is that not many people even do it. Yeah, you know, about 60% of people, and I'd have to check the quote on that, but it, it is around, I think, 60% of people do not change lenders at renewal. Um, and a fair amount of that 60% get the bank's renewal notice in the mail, which usually has very bad rates on it. And all they need to do is sign that and send it back to the bank. And a large percentage of those 60% do just that, which is great for the bank's margins. Um, but when you're coming up for renewal, I would certainly encourage a bit of comparative shopping, whether you're going to move the mortgage or not, just to ensure that you're not overpaying for the mortgage for the next few years. Andy, thank you so much for making time for us today, getting us up to date on what this uh, uh, change in the mortgage stress test is, what this new charter means. Uh, you know, just so our listeners know, it's not law. It's just something that banks uh, should abide by. It's it's more of a suggestion. And and, and from what I, my understanding is that they're sort of taking all the rules that already exist and putting them in one place to make it more palatable for anybody wondering what their choices are, what their options are when they when they renew their mortgage. Certainly. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Rubina. And happy to chat anytime. Thanks, Andy. That's Andy Hill. He is a mortgage broker in Vancouver. When we come back, I'm telling you about my New Year's resolution. And this year, it has all to do with money. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is for what it's worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. The best things in life are free. 2023 has been an interesting year when it comes to personal finance and uh, money in general. We've been talking a lot today on the program about mortgage rates, inflation, cost of living. Really, that's been the theme all year long. Uh, we've just really been bogged down with how much things cost. And it's the major conversation around every dinner table that I've been at, whether it be just my family or out with friends. Uh, we can't believe how much avocados cost or how much it costs to go out for dinner or how much the same thing that I did last year, you know, maybe winter tires that I bought last year or had them put on, how much more the labor costs have gone up. Businesses have responded to a higher cost of living by raising their costs as well. Their employees are asking for higher wages and for good reason. Uh, they need to, to afford their bills and then businesses pass that on to customers. And for many of us, that has meant cutting back on things that we did without thinking about. Uh, going out on vacation, going out for dinner, buying things that we need for our kids and for ourselves. Now you really want to stop and think about what you are purchasing and if it adds value. I wanted to share with you what my New Year's resolution is for 2024. And I have not really been someone who buys a lot of brand name stuff as it is. I do like high quality stuff, but I don't really buy something that has a big name brand written on it. But I think this year, because I do have some stuff, this year I've made a resolution that I am not going to buy anything 
that has a company logo on it. And the reason being is that I'm sort of fed up with being an advertisement for companies, right? So you go and you spend X amount of dollars on a shirt, you wear that shirt around, and then you're advertising to everybody that company that you paid for that shirt. My point of view is, is that if that company wants to pay, uh, wants to put a logo on me, they should pay me to advertise, right? And that if you want to show off what brand you're wearing, that company is benefiting from other people seeing that brand. They're getting brand recognition. It's normalizing uh, individuals uh, carrying that bag or that shirt or that anything that has to do with brand names. Now, some things you can't afford. I mean, I can't buy a car without a brand name on it. That usually, you know, comes comes with it. Although I have seen some people scrub all the brand names off of it. Uh, I'm not going to go that far, but this really has to do with my clothing and the things that I buy that I put on my body. I don't really want to be a walking ad. And so it's a new year's resolution that has to do with money, but it's more about a shift in thinking. And I really want to be a mindful shopper in 2024. A few years ago, I made a new year's resolution that I wouldn't buy any food outside for the month of January. I think I'm going to take that up again. It wasn't a hard thing to do. So if I wanted to have a coffee, I taught, brought the coffee with me. If I wanted, if I knew I'd be away for lunch, I brought my lunch with me. Um, you know, really it's just about pre-planning. Uh, I think I can easily carry that over for the month of January at least. Uh, but for the year, I want to start to be a bit more mindful about the things that I'm buying and what I'm putting into my basket and also the signal I'm sending to my children of what value I have on the things that I own. Um, I, I am really generally quite a minimalist as it is. I don't buy a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't like to have a lot of clutter. But at the same time, I do have clutter and I do have stuff. It does add up even when you are mindful about it. So maybe today, this last weekend of 2023, if you've got a few moments, sit down and, and try to think to yourself, what tweak could you make in your life that would just put you on a road to better financial wellness? Could it be being more mindful about the things that you buy? Could it be setting up automatic deductions from your uh, bank account when you get paid into your RRSP, your long-term savings, your TFSA, whatever it is? Could it be just calling the bank maybe, uh, maybe not Monday, Tuesday when they're open and saying, hey, every second Thursday when I get paid, take $200 out of my account. And when that money reaches $1,000, you can make a decision as to how you want to invest it. It's really amazing how fast that money will add up if you just start flexing that savings muscle. So that's really my message to you this year. This year has been hard. I'm not going to lie. Everyone has been feeling the pinch when it comes to how much everything costs. Everyone has had to cut back. And even those individuals who have been lucky enough to keep their jobs and keep their high-paying jobs, they're still having to adjust their expectations of what life is going to look like. Maybe they can't pay their mortgage off as fast as they wanted to. Maybe they can't renovate their home. You know, the things that are sort of, they are frivolous to those uh, in comparison to those people who are finding it hard to buy food. But they, these are issues that are plaguing all of us. I think that that's the message I'm sending. But then there's the other side of it, individuals who have been visiting food banks more uh, more often. Uh, food banks that I spoke to said their cost has gone up in some cases by 12 times. So what they used to spend on perishable foods, because people don't donate perishable foods, what they used to spend, what they used to spend on perishable foods in a year, 
they now spend in one month because the cost of buying those perishable foods has gone up and the number of people walking through their door needing to access a food bank has gone up. So things to think about into uh, 2024, ways that you can adjust your spending, ways that you can increase your financial wellness. Uh, your financial wellness is connected to so many other parts of your wellness, your mental health, your physical health, how productive you are at work. When you've got your money in order, you sleep better at night, you're more productive in your job, you feel more in control of your future, you, sh you fight less with your spouse, you yell at your kids less. This is just reality. When we're stressed about our finances, all of those things become exaggerated. Everything becomes more of a bigger mountain to climb than if you had your finances in order. So if I can tell you anything for 2024, uh, whether you have a big fat salary and you you know you just want to adjust the way you're spending so you can save a little bit more or you're really living paycheck to paycheck do something this year to increase your financial wellness and that can include so many different things maybe even just becoming a little bit more aware of how personal finances work. That may be your step towards uh, feeling better about your money. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. I wish you all the best for 2024. Thank you so much to my amazing technical producer, James Petrovic. I hope you have an amazing New Year's Eve and a great 2024. Look forward to working with you into the new year. I will see you here next week, same time, same place. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Hak, and this is For What It's Worth.